Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have details on the USDA February WASD report. Also, Glendalee Allen Wasser will give us an update on Protein Industries Canada and their latest announcements. And up first in today's country comments, we'll hear from FCC Chief Economist JP Gervais. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us now is Farm Credit Canada Chief Economist J.P. Gervais. 2021, despite all the issues that we had when it comes to drought, when it comes to some of the supply chain challenges that we've seen throughout and the impact it has had on a lot of farm inputs and so forth, and 2021 was overall a positive year. I mean, we've had growth of farm cash receipts up by 12% almost at the national level. A lot of the crops that we grow in the prairies have actually seen an increase in gross income. When you look at 2022, I think more of the same. If you look at pricing right now, it is very, very positive. The demand for what we are going to grow in the next cycle here is, is looks to be really strong. Um, there are a lot of different competing countries when it comes to our, you know, what we produce that are actually struggling on their own or having some of the challenges. And so the demand for what we're going to grow and what we have currently is very robust. And, and so that's on the positive side. Now, the flip side of that is that the, the inputs that we use on the farm are quite expensive, right? Some of the inflationary pressures that we have in the supply chain are definitely making their way up to the farm. Uh, some of the, those constraints and challenges that we see in the supply chain are going to ease sometime later in 2022. But for the most part, we do expect that farm inputs are going to be really high in 2022. And so that creates questions around profitability, right? So growth income is going to be robust, but at the same time, on the expense side, this is going to be high. So I think it, it really highlights the need for farm operations to focus on efficiencies and management. What are you expecting in terms of um, acres here this year? Well, and this is this is really the interesting question for an economist like myself. We have a number of constraints when we look at the rotations and so forth. I get that, but prices are high and higher than the five year. They're the five year average for most crops. So that raises a number of questions around where acres are going to go in the prairies, and I, we do think that canola. Um, are going to see an increase in acres. I, I, I just think that the pricing trend is, is so high right now that it's hard to say that uh, a scenario in which we're going to see a decline in acres, we expect a fairly significant increase in acres. Um, it could be up in the neighborhood of 4 or 5%. Uh, wheat as well is seeing a lot of traction right now because potentially to some of the issues that, that we have in Eastern Europe right now, you think of the conflict between Ukraine and Russia and so forth, but I do think that acres as well of wheat could actually increase. Um, and that raises, then at some point in time, we, we have to admit that we're not going to get the acres, all the acres that we want in terms of uh, uh, for all the crops that, that there is, right? The demand for plant-based proteins, if you look at pulses, remains really robust, but this is perhaps some of the sectors where we think we might see less of an increase in acres. Barley is another interesting crop as well because it's really tight in terms of supply but if we're going to grow acres of wheat and canola then maybe that leaves a little bit less for for barley so it really is going to be an interesting question going into the next um next production year here and uh just the, the outlook for acres is, and the competition for acres is really really intense right now 
That was J.P. Durbay, Chief Economist with Farm Credit Canada. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Knute. There's finally good news for potato farmers in Prince Edward Island. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has agreed to allow the resumption of shipments of island potatoes to Puerto Rico. Exports to Puerto Rico and the continental United States have been on hold since November following the discovery of potato wart in two PEI fields. The Canadian government imposed the ban on the exports of table stock potatoes from the province to avoid a U.S. ban, and the U.S. said it needed to review Canadian mitigation efforts. Fusarium head blight can be a big concern for Durham producers. AAFC Durham breeder Dr. Ruan and his team have developed two new Durham varieties that have improved FHB resistance. One of the new lines, DT2005, also has improved drought tolerance. DT2005 also released last year. Uh, it shows a high yielding with a good quality of profile, uh, also improved FHB resistance. You know, it's the other variety, DT2009, known as AAC Schrader, is the first Durham line in Canada and the world with intermediate resistance to FHB. And Stats Canada released its December 31st stocks report yesterday. Neil Townsend is with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. It's hard to read too much into it, but I mean, there are some trade expectations. And the only notable one where they were sort of a, a little bit out of line with what happened was they were higher on the uh, all-wheat sort of non-Durham number than what the actual number came out at. So the number came out lower than they expected. But I would say that that was in line with what the production drop was. Like we had uh, the production dropping year on year by 34% for non-Durham wheat and stocks were 34% uh, tighter than uh, you would have expected them to be. Elsewhere, Stats Canada says as of December 31st, canola stocks were down 43.1% year over year to 7.6 million tons, their lowest level since 2007. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Wednesday, February 9th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Wassler chats with Bill Gruel, CEO of Protein Industries Canada. Protein Industries Canada announced a new project this week to help small and medium-sized plant-based businesses access capital to scale up their operations. Glenda Lee Allen Wassler caught up with Bill Gruel, the CEO of Protein Industries Canada, to find out more. Bill, talk to us a little bit about the need for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Glenda Lee. So, you know, we've been at this for about uh, three and a half years at Protein Industries Canada. And when we talk to our members about the challenges that they face about scaling their business, accessing capital is the number one concern that they raise. And so, you know, the type of companies that we're talking about here, they would be ingredient manufacturers that have, you know, proof of concept at a pilot scale facility, but they really want to scale that business up so that they're processing, you know, 50 to 100,000 metric tons of crop. It's quite expensive. That can be upwards of $100 million. The challenge that they have is that from from where they are today to having a facility that's processing that much crop is could be 18 to 24 months and they're not generating positive revenue in the meantime. So they have a lot of challenges accessing capital from the traditional venture capital community 
or perhaps uh, debt financing. So really what we've seen is this whole class of organizations in Western Canada that don't fit what I would call the venture capital model of funding because maybe the hold is too long, maybe the risk from the VC is too high for one company. So our idea here and our concept behind this project is to create a pool of capital that can help invest in a number of these startup facilities to help manage the risk and make it a little bit easier for them to access the rest of their debt and equity financing through the traditional markets. So how is this going to work? Yeah, so what we've done is um, we're working with a couple of different um, organizations that are basically family offices. They're focused on early stage investments. They're partnering together with organizations like Osler and Deloitte to really build out the framework of this. And and those organizations are going to be going to and educating the capital community. So that could be institutional investors. It could be some VC funds. It could be different types of uh, high net worth individuals that want to put money into a fund uh, because they believe that we can grow the value-added processing sector here in Western Canada. So the investment that we've made today is to try to break down those barriers, educate the capital community, help our member companies get better in terms of how they're accessing capital, and to put the framework together to raise the funds for uh, what we think we need to grow uh, Western Canada's uh, ingredient processing capacity. So what kind of funds are we talking about here? Um, it, it would be uh, it would be either debt or equity financing for companies that are looking to build processing facilities. Is there going to be kind of a, a range of applicable funding they can access? The fund will be managed by fund managers and an overall investment community. And so I think the, the investment will be in line with the opportunity and the needs. And so I, I think there's not really um, an exact range. It's really uh, project and company specific. So at this point, the call is out for investors, right? Correct. Yeah. Let's talk about that growth. What okay. are we What are we looking at? What kind of further potential do you see? Yeah, it, it's been a really interesting couple of years to think to think this through. And, and a while ago, we contracted Ernst & Young to do some work for us and look at the global size of the plant-based food market. And they came back to us with a number of about $250 billion. Um, that's the global size of the plant-based food market at retail in 2035. And so, you know, you think about that today, that's about 13 or 14 percent compound annual growth rate, which is really significant. There's few industries globally today that offer that rate of return. You know, in Canada, we think we can capture 10 percent of that market, which is really ambitious. But we think we can achieve a 25 billion dollar industry by 2035. And of course, required to do that, Gwendolyn, is access to a lot of capital. There was recently a study that was issued by an organization called the Good Food Institute. They peg the requirement for ingredient processing capital on a global basis in the next 10 years at $27 billion. So it gives you a sense of, of, the, of the global need for capital. And uh, if you think about that in the Canadian context, uh, we, we need a significant investment of, um, of, of capital and infrastructure built to meet the global demand. 
As we talked about, Protein Industries has had uh, well over 30 now uh, projects that you've announced. Just what kind of dollars are we seeing being spent, I guess? Yeah, so so to date, we're managing about $430 million in, in projects, and we've invested about uh, 160 uh, of that. And so I think, you know, the delta is what industry has put in, and I think that speaks to how industry views this as an opportunity for Canada and in a global basis. So for every dollar that Protein Industries Canada has invested, uh, industry has come to the table with at least $2. And I think that's a extremely positive, speaks to the optimism, speaks to the opportunity, also speaks to the need for uh, the, the co-investment that we're making to de-risk innovation. Overall, final thoughts, key comments you would like to leave with people today? Yeah, I, I just think it's um, it's 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 not enough to invest in innovation. We have to also create um, a highly competitive business environment for Canada in order to grow the plant-based food sector. And by doing things like investing in innovation, investing in access to capital, investing in things like talent and skills development and regulatory modernization, we need to do all of those things to keep advancing the sector forward. Um, but we truly believe that we can we can reach uh, $25 billion in sales by 2035. Well, it certainly sounds like we're well on our way. I've been talking with Bill Gruel. Bill is CEO of Protein Industries Canada. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Manitoba Beef Producers is hosting its 43rd annual general meeting tomorrow in an online setting. Visit their website to register. The Manitoba Organic Alliance annual meeting takes place via Zoom February 15th. You can register on their website. And with the cancellation of Crop Connect 2022, individual organizations are hosting their AGMs online. Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers will host their AGM February 16th at 9 a.m. Manitoba Oak Growers February 16th at 1 p.m. Manitoba Canola Growers February 17th at 9 a.m. And the Manitoba Crop Alliance February 17th starting at 1 p.m. Go to their websites to register. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon, the USDA released its February WASDE report this morning. I got the details from Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company in Chicago. Well, that's about as boring as they get, and that's not unusual for February. Uh, they cut U.S. soybean exports, uh, or cut end stocks by 25 million bushels by raising crush a like amount and uh, made no other changes of substance. Now, in corn in the United States, they left the, end, the balance sheet the same at 1.54 billion bushels. And on wheat, they actually raised end stocks 20 million bushels citing a lower export profile by 20 million bushels. So as you look over all of the grains and add them together, there really wasn't much change uh, in any of the stocks combined. Maybe internationally they did make some changes where they cut the Brazilian soybean crop 5 million metric tons, now 134, 3 million metric tons below last year. And then they made reductions also by 1.5 million tons to Argentina and 2.2 million metric tons to Paraguay. So all combined now in the last two reports, USDA has cut about Oh, at 18 million metric tons of soybeans, or about, you know, 800 million bushels. So that is supportive to the soybean market. But 
Other than that, we're going to be looking at South American weather and whether China continues to be a aggressive buyer of U.S. soybeans going forward. And Dan, uh, just talk a little bit more about the, the weather situation in uh, South America, uh, just the, the dryness and what's been happening there. Well, it's uh, one of the worst droughts we can find looking backwards in four decades. Uh, southern Brazil, Argentina have been enduring drought going all the way back now to the middle of November. Uh, that drought looks to persist. The forecasts are dry for at least another couple of weeks, and crop numbers are declining. And we would expect USDA in future reports, both be it March and April, to make those adjustments also. So ultimately, we think there may be another 9 million metric ton fall in the Brazilian crop, maybe another 3 or 4 in Argentina and 2 in Paraguay. That'll add up to about another 14 million metric tons. and That'll probably get us close to where we need to be with soybeans trading just below $16 a bushel in Chicago. That was Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company in Chicago, recapping this morning's USDA February WASDE report. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The USDA released its February WASDE report this morning. Dan Bossy is president of Ag Resource Company in Chicago. About as boring as they get, and that's not unusual for February. Uh, they cut the U.S. soybean exports, uh, or cut end stocks by 25 million bushels by raising crush a like amount and uh, made no other changes of substance. Now, in corn in the United States, they left the, end, the balance sheet the same at 1.54 billion bushels. And on wheat, they actually raised end stocks 20 million bushels, citing a lower export profile by 20 million bushels. Bossy says the drought in South America continues to be a key focus. Stats Canada says as of December 31st, canola stocks were down 43.1% year over year to 7.6 million tons, their lowest level since 2007. On-farm stocks fell 50.8% to 5.6 million tons, offsetting commercial stocks, which rose 4.3% to 1.9 million tons. The decline in on-farm stocks was largely attributable to low total supply. Neil Townsend is with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. I mean, that's certainly well within the line of what we were expecting. I mean, I, I guess the, the bottom line is this, is that, you know, there's seven months left in the marketing year, you know, as of the, that report, typically we'd be using, you know, somewhere around 1.5 million tons of canola between domestic usage and export. And, uh, you know, we have 7.5 or 7.6 million tons left. Yeah, I think there's been a bit of rationing, certainly on the export side and to a smaller degree on the on the domestic side. But I mean, it's very, very tight. Despite strong international demand, canola exports fell 43.1% compared with one year earlier. And two new Durham varieties with improved Fusarium head blight resistance are on the horizon for prairie producers. Durham breeder Dr. Ruan says one of the new lines, DT2009, known as AAC Schrader, is the first Durham line in Canada and the world with intermediate resistance to FHB. In addition, uh, AAC Schrader has a high yield, uh, good store strength, and high protein concentration. He notes it also showed good drought tolerance, yielding 9 to 11% more than other current cultivars. AAC Schrader is in seed multiplication and will be marketed through FP Genetics. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, the farm desk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll hear from Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.